Good afternoon and welcome to the final day of 1 to 54 Forum. My name is Karen Greenberg and I've organized this year's uh, program, which is dedicated to BC Silver. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I just want to highlight um, a little booklet that we've created called Remembering BC Silver. She was an incredibly influential Nigerian curator who sadly passed away uh, earlier this year. And her presence is one that we are celebrating through this program and very much looking back and reflecting on the incredible work that she's, she did during the course of her life, but also the legacy that she has left behind, that we all are, are somehow compelled to continue. She had an immense influence on many of our lives, um, both artists, curators, writers, art historians, and um, I've brought together people who were particularly influenced by the work that she was doing, and indeed played a very important role in facilitating um, much of what she was concerned with. The four days have been themed around um, different topics that BC Silver was particularly passionate about. So we've had sessions around empowering women artists and promoting their practices internationally. We've talked about the importance of research, both for artists and curators. Um, we've talked about archives and building and maintaining these in Africa. And we've also talked about pedagogy and how institutions can be transformed and built in Africa that better serve the needs of artists and curators and art historians to develop infrastructures, both hard and soft, on the continent. Today, we're going to be talking about lens-based media. And this was something that BC was particularly passionate and an advocate for. When I first went to CCA Lagos back in 2010 for a residency, I was struck by how much important work she was doing really filling a void um, for photographers in Nigeria. And that was particularly true after I gave a talk at the University of Lagos about site-specific art. And I was showing a lot of examples of work that we were doing at Tate Modern, particularly around turbine hole commissions. And at the end, the students, you know, I said, do you have any questions? And the first person put up her hand and said, is this really art? Very nervously. And I said, of course it's art. You know, If it has an idea, it can be manifest in any way you, you dream. And that seemed to be such a radical thing for me to be saying in that context, and that's something I take for granted so much um, on my, in my day-to-day -day here. And so I think BC was really creating a safe space for ideas and for practices that were non-commercial, that were experiential and experimental. And of course, photography uh, was a very important part of that dialogue that she was creating. And so it seems apt that we celebrate BC's life today and we think about the platforms that she was so involved in creating and many of the people who contributed to that and will continue the work that she did. So I'm delighted to have on the stage uh, Brendan Emser, but also Eve Chatap and Akunbodi Akinbi. Welcome and thank you so much for being here. I'm going to quickly introduce um, Brendan, who is going to moderate today's session, and also wanted to mention that we're very pleased to have a pre-recorded video from Antoine Bird and Aluremi Onabanjo, both of whom worked closely with BC and have, have a great deal to contribute um, to the future of ph photography um, on the continent and in the diaspora. So just take a moment while everyone takes their seats. Thank you.
So Brendan Emser is the managing editor of Aperture Magazine. He is the editor of the Aperture books, Deanna Lawson and Aperture Monograph, Chloe Dew Matthews, Caspian the Elements, and Ethan James Green, Young New York. He's the managing editor of Aperture Conversations, 1985 to the present. Emser served on the jury for the Addis Photofest, the Chang Young International Photography and Video Arts Biennial, Photo Israel, and the Sony World Photography Awards. He is formerly the director of exhibitions at the Walter Collection in New York. He holds a BA in English from Haverford College and an MA in Africana Studies from New York University. In 2017, he worked with Aisha Diallo, John Fleetwood, and BC Silver as contributing guest editors for Aperture's Platform Africa issue, which considered the role of biennials, educational workshops, and experimental art spaces in promoting dialogue around contemporary photography in Africa. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks so much, Karen. Um, we, Karen and I met almost 10 years ago, and I'm grateful that we've continued to work together and do collaborations like this, which I think represent um, one element of BC's multi-pronged legacy in this field, both um, in Europe, the UK, and in Africa. Um, and I want to thank Olivia, Toria, and everyone at 154 for their generous and superb organization of this forum. Um, it's really an honor to share this panel with Yves Chatap, um, an independent curator based in Paris, um, who, among many other projects, was the associate curator of the 10th Bamako Biennial um, in 2015, and also um, the revered photographer Akinbodi Akinbi, who joins us from Berlin, um, and whose work was presented um, most recently in Documenta 14 in Kassel, Germany, in 2017, and um, this year at the Chicago Architecture Biennial. This panel also includes two video segments, as Karen mentioned, by um, Remy Anabanjo, a curator, writer, and PhD candidate in African art at Columbia University, and Antoine Bird, um, a curator with Eve um, of uh, the 10th Bamako Biennial. Uh, he's an associate curator at the Art Institute of Chicago um, and currently working on the Lagos Biennial, which opens um, at the end of this month. Antoine uh, worked with BC um, as a Fulbright Fellow right out of college um, when he was about 20 years old and continued over the next decade um, to be one of her closest <coughs> confidants and aides de camp. So I'm really grateful that the two of them um, came into Aperture's office to record a video, which uh, we'll see in two segments this afternoon. I wanted to start this panel um, by reading from um, just a short piece from the last paragraph of Dwight Garner's obituary. Um, for Toni Morrison, ooh, it's, sorry, it's a little emotional to think Toni Morrison, Oakley, uh, Enwithor, and BC all left us in one year. I think I'm not the only person who would have thought they were our um, guiding stars in our intellectual world and um, kind of heroes in one way or the other. Um, so the, this is again about Toni Morrison. The point of an essay like this one, written in the hours after a writer's death, is in some regard to blow taps over a meaningful life. It's a rolling of credits. With Morrison, it feels different. The credits are only partial. This writer enlarged the American imagination in ways we are only beginning to understand. I would say the same is true, the same idea is true for B.C. Silva, whose curatorial work, writing, community building, and cultural activism enlarged our global imagination, opened doors for artists and writers, and perhaps most importantly, exacted a standard of rigor and excellence when it comes to thinking about contemporary art from Africa. In that spirit, I'm grateful that this forum isn't meant to play taps or to eulogize, 
but instead to think about the continuum and the continuation of BC's work and her imagination today, the long-term legacy of which we are only beginning to understand, specifically when it comes to photography and lens-based media. I met BC Silva for the first time in 2019 when I was a graduate student in Africana Studies um, in New York. We were at an event at the Museum of Contemporary African Diaspora and Arts in Brooklyn, um, also appropriately the place where I first met Oakley. A few years later, when I was living in London here and trying to figure out what to do next in my career, um, I had a late night G-chat conversation with BC, um, who was in Lagos. She asked me to send her my CV and said she'd look at it, which she did in real time. And she came back with her characteristic combination of strong encouragement and strong critique. Um, what do you really want, she said. What have you really done? That summer, I interned at Autograph ABP here in London and worked with Renee Masai on a survey of James Barner's photography. And I later worked at the Walther Collection and now at Aperture. Um, and I feel that these are paths and choices that were guided in no small way by BC's example of dedication to idealistic enterprises and her commitment to research. Since Aperture was redesigned in 2013, um, the magazine returned to a thematic focus for each quarterly issue. It's a key initiative. Um, it's, a, it's an initiative that has been produced. <coughs> the idea is to produce an annual edition about the photographic culture of one city. So this series has included issues on Tokyo, Sao Paulo, Los Angeles, and most recently, Mexico City. And often these projects are collaborations with guest editors and cultural institutions. In 2016, um, at Aperture, we wanted to begin work on an issue focused on photography in Africa, but we didn't want to do an Africa issue. Um, that would be impossible. Um, at the same time, given the creative networks between Johannesburg, Bamako, Dakar, Algiers, and many other cities, we decided to consider the idea of the platform, the shared meeting points for photography students, curators, and entrepreneurs. We worked with three contributing guest editors, BC Silva, John Fleetwood, who's with us um, this afternoon, um, formerly the director of the Market Photo Workshop and currently um, the director of the South African-based platform Photo, and Aicha Diallo, who at the time um, was an editor at the Berlin-based magazine Contemporary And. So I wanted to take you very quickly through the contents of this issue so you can see the context both for this talk and BC's contributions to um, a pro this project at Aperture. Um, as I mentioned, there were three critical platforms which formed the kind of intellectual tent poles of this project. So the first one, oh, oh and we also opened with five short profiles of um, our experimental art spaces and festivals and art fairs that were key um, to these networks, um, including one with um, Aicha Diallo, uh, um, with Aicha, Aida Molina, whose work is on view outside here. Um, so the first um, kind of thematic focus was on Bamako, which, as many of you know, since 1994, has hosted the very influential Bamako Biennial. BC was the artistic director in 2015. And um, in this essay, she revisited um, the meaning of that particular festival, that particular edition, and also the long, longer legacy of Bamako, which we'll talk about um, today. Um, the second was a, f um, a profile of some of the younger artists who have come through the Market Photo Workshop in South Africa, um, which many of you know, David Goldblatt and others started in the late 1980s as an integrated space for learning <coughs> photography. 
And um, we also wanted to um, talk about and think about North Africa and Morad Matizami wrote about um, documentary practices in North Africa. And then we had a number of other features. Um, Yves Shatap uh, did a wonderful interview with Samuel Foso. We looked back at the history of Drum Magazine and had the great opportunity to look in the Drum archives in Johannesburg. And then we had a series of wonderful artist portfolios. Um, some of it new work, some of it recent work, um, including um, Sabello Malangeni, and Malala, Andrea Viedrazana, who's also here today from Paris, Mimi Chirono Nkak, Jody Brand, South Africa, and Abdul Shanan in Algeria. Dale Jas, whose work is on view here at the fair. Eric Jamfi uh, from Ghana. <coughs> Francois-Xavier Gibray. And then the third kind of element of this project was a digital collaboration with Contemporary And. So we produced 12 um, online exclusive articles um, that were published simultaneously on Aperture's website and on Contemporary And's website that were meant to enlarge in the audience for um, the print edition, so here is an interview with um, Bode. And then um, we had, we, as I mentioned, we co-published with Contemporary And on their website and translated um, a number of articles in French as well. So this was trying to build a larger community beyond the print edition. So I wanted to, um, oops, I'm gonna go here. I wanted to start the panel um, by asking our participants um, to just take us into one image or one artist that you deeply associate with BC and her work. And we'll start with you, um, Bode, and you chose two architectural pieces by um, Ojekari. Can you tell us a little bit about um, both of these and, and why they're meaningful to you? Um, so good afternoon, everybody. <coughs> um, uh, Paul Jekere, that's how we, um, we used to call him, um, um, J.D. Okai Ojekere, was a very, very gracious um, human being. Very, very generous. And um, from about the late 90s onwards, I used to visit him whenever I was at home in Lagos. I, I don't no, no longer live in Nigeria. I live in Germany at the moment, but go home very often. Now. And Paul Jekere was a very, very generous and welcoming um, person artist, photographer. So um, in 2001, Simon Njami, the, then the curator of the um, Bamako Rencontre, asked me to um, curate a, a show within the um, Rencontre on Nigerian photo photographers. One of my choices was Paul Jekere. And by that time, he was already well known internationally with his hairstyles. So I chose other work, architectural, um, his architectural work. And um, this image, was in the show, I believe, but not this one. And um, what I really like about Paul Jekere was his um, very um, rigorous eye. So um, he worked for about, I would say, going on for 60 years, 60 years, 60, almost 70 years, but he had a very rigorous eye. He was very ordered. I went to his studio many a time. He kept his, um, his negatives very well and also his contact sheets, and had all them all filed away. And it was very, very rigorous, and I, I really liked this. But he was always willing to give to, to younger um, photographers, younger artists. 
something which is not often doesn't often happen, unfortunately, in many countries in West Africa. Many of the older generation believe that they've gone so far they don't want to give it on to younger people. But Padre was the complete opposite. I really enjoy I like that. And I would add that BC Silva organized a, a major exhibition in Helsinki, right? And uh, a catalog which brought together not only the hairstyles that um, Bode mentioned are so celebrated, but uh, the wider breadth of his, of his work. And one thing I'd really like to mention also, he has another body of work which is very, very important. Um, one of the, I think this is the first television station in Africa was in Ibadan, in Nigeria in the late 50s. And he was a photographer for this station then. And he has some very, very insightful um, um, images of people working at the station at that time, including Wale Shurinka, but others as well. This is very, very important work. Hopefully one day also, it, mm. it, there are a few images in um, um, B.C. Silver's um, monography on him, which is a very, very, also very important book. Mm -hmm. And Eve, um, we chose an image from um, Musa Kalapa, which was featured in the 10th Bamako Biennial and also in B.C.'s article about um, Bamako Biennial in Aperture. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, this Thank image. Thank you. Yeah. Good afternoon. Thank you for your invitation. So um, I think this image uh, represents quite well um, the relation I had with B.C. during the, the Biennale and also how I met her for the first time because um, we met in 2009 in Bamako. I was a young creator. I was trying to find my way also. And um, we spoke uh, this, um, this edition about uh, the archives. How can um, uh, um, uh, Africans can uh, uh, build their archive, photographic archive, their photographic heritage? And um, since then, I didn't really, um, I start to work also with uh, Afrique. I create this platform. Afrique was a young platform to 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 give a visibility to young photographers. And she was asking me why you do, you are not looking about uh, old photographer in Cameroon, for example, because she knew that I, I, came, I came from Cameroon. And I didn't take that information like um, really important because I was only thinking about young photographers. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it was the most important thing to bring mm -hmm. young generation in the mm -hmm. scene, on the scene. And uh, when she invited me to uh, co-curate the 10th um, the edition, the 10th edition, I'm, uh, with this theme of telling time, uh, we started to speak a lot about archive, about how uh, we can think the future with the past. And uh, when we made the selection, we were agreed with two photographers who uh, spoke about archive, archiving the memory, archiving the, our own heritage. And I think this image is um, really representative about how BC was thinking photography, what perspectives she want to bring about photography in Africa, how, what we have to give outside of the continent uh, which image, which identity we have to create, which art, is, uh, photographic history of, uh, of Africa we have to create uh, ourselves. So I think it's um, um, exactly also the, um, how can I say that, the, her parcours mm -hmm. in, um, in this field. Mm -hmm. So it's a quite nice um, mm. image. Wonderful. Yeah. 
So we're going to start with the first video from Antoine and Remy. Um, do you guys want to sit so you can see? Um, You want to go first, or um, yeah, sure. Do you? I, I can go. Uh, yeah, you can go because I, I think I've cheated a bit because I have two. So yeah. I, I don't. If you say something, then yeah, if it's yeah, one yeah, that I've picked, then I'll do the other one. <laughs> right. um, so one image that I associate with VC's work as a curator is a photograph that was taken in 1962 by J.D. Ohio Jukiri. Um It's a photograph that was taken after Ojukiri started working for the Ministry of Information probably around like 1955. Uh, and the photograph was, it was taken in Ibadan and it was of a woman maybe in her, I would say maybe mid to late 40s. Um, it was a portrait of a woman who was um, uh, at one of the, the college halls and she's standing with her hands clasped at her chest and it's, it reminds me of you know, a lot of the postures that you see in early Senegalese portraiture. The woman's wearing this all-white gown, and she's very regal, and, 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 and BC always described her as confident. Um, and the image reminds me of her in part because of how Oji Kere um, meant a great deal to her interest in photography. Um, she was always, BC was always interested in, in trying to find a way to um, extend interest in Oji Kere's work beyond the hairstyles. And so portraiture became a really key um, aspect of Ojukari's work in that regard. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at this image, I always think about her and all the conversations we had about it, about how you know, this was a kind of quintessential Ojukari uh, image in terms of portraiture. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, of course, also BC's own sort of personality and how she was pretty cool. And, yeah. mm -hmm. That's great. I mean, yeah. it's good that you said an Ojekura image because yeah. that was one of the things for me. Okay. Um, so I'll say the other image that I think um, reminds me a lot about uh, Bissi's curatorial practice, her ethos, and also one of the things that for me became synonymous and was introductory in a way to her and her practice. And it's an image by Lebohan Khanye, which of course yeah. is emblazoned across the front of uh, the 10th Bamako Encounters catalogue, yeah. Telling Time. And um, to me, it kind of demonstrates how astute Bissy was um, as a curator and as an intellectual thinker, someone who was really invested in uh, advocating for emerging um, artists who had really strong sense of uh, what they wanted to do with their photographic practice, how she would cultivate and um, advocate for them. But also, um, for me, it demonstrated how she was really invested in uh, notions of temporality, mm -hmm. chronology. Um, and so there was this interplay, of course, in the composition. Um, it's an investigation from Le Bohang's, um uh, 2011 series Kele Falaka, where she's looking at family archives and um, you know considering the subjectivity of her mother yeah. um, as well as herself. And so to me, it just kind of um, not only was it one of the you know introductions for me to Bissy's work mm -hmm. from um, you know from a curatorial and a scholarly perspective, mm -hmm. 
but also just how she was working, thinking about the past not in a way that was relegated to beyond where we're thinking, but how it informed our presence um, and going from there. I got to CCA in 2009, um, and it opened in 2007. And one of the, the first shows that uh, related to photography was an exhibition on Georgia Shodi. Mm -hmm. And it was a part of this Democrazy series yeah. that, that she curated. Uh, I think there were four exhibitions, uh, and Georgia Shodi was the third one. Um, and I think at the time there was a great deal of interest in the Niger Delta. Um, and one of the things that motivated her interest in, in George's work was, um, I think, how almost stark its response was to the upheavals happening there, the, the um, crisis in terms of the gas and the environmental degradation, etc. How the work sort of laid bare um, those realities, and I think, you know, from there, it's it's interesting because I think the next show was on. Uh, Zanelli Maholi and mm. Lucia Zabuike, mm. and there's a similar sort of directness uh, to both of their work. Um, and for her, I know that we had so many conversations about it after the fact, uh, but even just as uh, the show was closing, which overlapped with my arrival in Lagos, um, one of the things that she was insisted on was the, the necessity to challenge the sort of status quo, uh, to show work that um, couldn't be seen anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, part of the strategy was also about getting people to cross the bridge. And so she knew that if there was something that was uh, evocative and, and, and um, I don't know, daring, that it would create a, a kind of, I don't know, buzz that prompted people to move outside of Ikoyi or VI. Uh, and to come to Yava. Mm -hmm. So I think photography for her was important in that regard, but also there was this increasing number of photographers in the city. Um, and I know that uh, Tam Forfiori, the Nigerian photographer, he would often talk about how so many artists were gravitating toward photography because of the ease or the perceived ease by which mm -hmm. you could develop a career by you know, just snapping images and then sending you know, JPEG files or uh, having things printed remotely. And so she was interested in, in, in challenging that by you know, developing a discourse around lens-based media uh, that showed that it's actually something that deserves sustained attention. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I think as someone who is um, a art historian and a curator who's dedicated to that kind of work, for me as someone who is living in the diaspora and encountering her work, as I feel like many do also encounter her work, it was really refreshing and important. Um, as I was reading through various other thinkers who were invested in the same sets of issues, to read someone who was really invested in, as you mentioned in your earlier um, remark, uh, the ideas of how the local can be something that resonates um, on a wider discourse yeah. and having that be the thing that foregrounds one's perspective. Yeah. And specifically as, as someone who had her training, had her outlook, um, had her particular ability to work in the world and um, 
have her message resonate on multiple levels, it was so important for me to see, okay, well, this is someone who's invested yeah. in having a space, having an intellectual discourse that is rooted in Lagos. Yeah. And having that be the thing that comes first, that doesn't mean that she is siloing herself off or siloing her intellectual thought, yeah. but saying that the local can be something that resonates globally, but also foregrounds her specific context first. Yeah. For me, that was really important about how um, BC positioned her curatorial practice and her intellectual work, um, was also thinking about various um, audiences. Yeah. So not just that she was foregrounding her intellectual project within you know, Lagos, and of course we see that in the work that she did in Asiko, thinking about various different types of localities across the African continent, um, and seeing that as a pedagogical model for artists, curators, critics. But for me, in her writing practice, she was publishing in journals, she was, she was guest editing journals, um, whether that was in foot photography and incorporating um, you know, issues that were also very important to her, whether that's multilingual histories on the African continent, feminist histories, um, interactions between the uh, South-South trajectories across the Global South, Latin America and Africa. Um, you know, parts of Asia and the African continent as well. So to me, there was a nimbleness with yeah. which um, she was setting her sights on how we could um, consider intellectual um, histories and production. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, BC was, you know, thinking early on about doing the the Bamako Biennale. We had a conversation. She she skyped or something or WhatsApp, um, and uh, one of the things that she, I mean, and this was kind of typical of her approach, I mean, she had this opportunity and she was trying to decide whether or not to, to pursue it, and she always wanted to, to make a decision that was informed um, on many different levels, and so one of the things that she did was she started to read the epic of Sunja Takeda. Yeah. Um, and this 13th century story about the founding of the Malian Empire. Um, and she wanted to, to, to dive deep into that narrative uh, as a way of trying to make sense of what was happening in Bamako in 2013 after the crisis had begun mm. um, a year earlier, and which caused the, the, the 10th edition to be delayed. Mm -hmm. And so she was really, really inspired by, by these epic stories, and that's where the idea of telling time came from, uh, of storytelling. Uh, essentially, it was uh, something that she wanted to think about in terms of how, you know, how is it that photographic images respond to their particular moment, uh, the time in which they were created, but also how images can uh, invite consideration of the past, and also in terms of uh, the future, or to speculate on the future. And so that sort of tripartite approach to time was something that, um, yeah, that she was really, really excited about. And so telling time uh, became the overall sort of thematic focus. And then I think, you know, once um, she formally invited me to, to work alongside her and also Eve, we began to have these really great, you know, uh, I think maybe like bi-monthly meetings where we were just thinking about the different programs and how we wanted to, um, both be responsive to the 10th edition of the Biennale, uh, but also have that response be matched by the overall thematic framework for the 10th edition. And so naturally it felt like we should be retrospective in our um, approach to the catalog, uh, to have it be something that told the story in, in a sense of the Biennale itself, 
And so that's what prompted this overall focus on uh, the timeline and the republishing of, of key texts and inviting a lot of um, art historians, like uh, art historians and curators, Simone Njami, for example, but also Samuel Sidibe, who was the director general of the Biennale for such a long part of its history, and then the art historian Erica Nemes, mm -hmm. um, who is, is incredible in that she has gone to more or less every edition of the Bamako Biennale mm -hmm. from the first one onward. Uh, so having conversations with them about their experiences gave us um, some insight into how the Biennale sort of evolved and how we could begin to map that evolution uh, in the space of the publication. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, you know, having the timeline and, and trying to think about the evolution of the Biennale in relation to other key events and um, the history of African photography or the history of exhibitions on the continent. Another like really great thing about doing the research for this, um, let's say, the 10th anniversary supplement that was in the, the Bamako catalog mm -hmm. was that a lot of that research went into this exhibition that Eve Shatap and I mm -hmm. co-curated, which was at the Musée de Bamako, and essentially it was a laying out of uh, the Biennale's archives. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the, the walls of the gallery had a sort of timeline mm -hmm. of the Biennale, and then we had sort of vitrines in the center with different forms of ephemera. Um, and the process of gathering all of that material was really, really challenging, in part because there was no, at the time, there was no sort of central place where you could go mm -hmm. and look through the Biennale's archives. Um, and so that material was sort of assembled through, you know, a lot of um, past participants, a lot of artists who had gone to prior editions, and also Eric Nemes, who mm -hmm. has a trove of materials um, and other you know curators and historians who are based in Paris and so we were gradually just emailing people and, and putting things together um, and yeah that's something that Eve I'm sure can, can speak about knowing that he's here with us um, <laughs> in, in spirit I Eve. <laughs> it may seem obvious that the Bamako catalog had this amazing archive in the back but one part of the video that we cut was um, Antoine mentioned that the first Bamako catalog was like a 20-page insert in a magazine, and it's kind of a, I see it as a radical act that BC incorporated the history of the Bamako vinyl into the 10th anniversary catalog, and that it is so beautifully produced, and it is, the materials are accessible and laid out, and you can, it, it does tell the story over the time, and I think that that's archiving and narration of these histories is really important. So, Eve, I wanted to talk to you about um, the Bamako Vinyl. These are some scenes from the 2015 um, edition, but you specifically had another project. In addition to the main exhibition, there are off projects. There are other exhibitions in the city. And you wanted to talk about one in particular that had to do with um, the reason why the 10th Bamako Vinyl was delayed by two years. So can you to set the stage for us a little bit about that context and then this particular project. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, Antoine said something really um, important is that when um, we started to we started uh, to work a lot uh, for the this edition, um, and she gave us the, this theme of telling time. Um, um, the, she was really uh, interested by how we can go back in, in, in Bamako, how we can create this connection, reconnect with Bamako after four years of, um, uh, of absence of the Biennale. And um, 
Um, so it was the 10th edition. It was also important to bring people, uh, bring the, the, the arts and international audience in Bamako uh, to uh, reconnect, to create um, new, uh, new bridges. And uh, so um, she, she told me one day um, on Skype, okay, Eve, during all this year, this four year of absence of the, of the Biennale, what happened, how Malian audience can connect with what happened outside of the country. You know, uh, there wasn't, for many people, there wasn't TV, there wasn't TV, there wasn't, uh, they didn't have access to the newspaper, so they didn't know really what happened outside. <coughs> and uh, we spoke a lot, we, we talked about different possibilities, and then we said, okay, how many days of the absence from the end of the last Biennale in 2011 until now. We can't, and then we said, okay, what happened? What, how can we say to the Malian audience the, to, 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 uh, during this Biennale, what happened outside? And finally, we decided with Antoine uh, um, to create this open call, uh, not only for photographers, but for everyone, because it was also important to, to say that it's not only a, a festival about photography, it's about image, how we receive image, how we create uh, a discourse with the images we are seeing everywhere. And uh, we made this open call and we receive uh, many images. So here, just, there's just few images because, uh, you know, it was a bit stressed. And uh, so I made, we made these photos uh, after, uh, before the end of uh, the installation. But yeah, we selected many images and received more than 1,300 uh, 1, um, uh, images. We received a lot. So we made a selection. And I remember that she said, no, you don't have to make a selection everywhere. No, we cannot just put <coughs> images. We also have to give us something representative about what we want to bring to the, um, to the audience. And uh, so we made the selection with Antoine and we selected uh, 1,300. And right, and 84 images. And for those who might not know, can you just tell us what was happening in Mali, in the north of the country, politically during? It was totally, um, uh, it was the war, you know, during this, uh, these years, and uh, these four years, and um, anyone have, uh, was able to, uh, to, 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 wasn't able to come in, um, in, um, in Bamako, and the, the photographers also, um, when we, we went to, to Bamako for the first time for the uh, organization of the Biennale, um, uh, I remember that uh, uh, we spoke with uh, uh, the, this young photographer, Moussa Kalapo, you saw one image from him, and also Seido Kamara. And uh, something that um, really impacts uh, us, it was uh, we are outside of everything. We no, don't know exactly. Before the war, young photographers like Seydou Kama uh, um, received usually uh, um, some commands of um, newspaper, you know, some uh, to, 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 to buy images, to make images. And uh, after the, uh, with the war, they, they stopped to, to exist in the scene. In the, and the, the photographer can, uh, wasn't able to work. So it was also uh, all these um, situations who um, 
who was important to, for this project, it was how, really how photographers and Malian audience was able to start a conversation, to continue a conversation or to not be out of a conversation of what happened out uh, during this uh, period. Mm -hmm. And um, where physically in Bamako was this um, exhibition presented? Uh, in, in, in the relation? museum, but okay. in the park, okay. uh, outside in the park. Uh, um, so in the, um, we select, we create uh, a space outside. Uh, we, you have the museum and you have, uh, you have uh, the, you had the um, uh, main exhibition inside and outside also in the park and we created this space outside of the park because it was also important not the park is um, a place i don't know if it's a, the same thing now it's alt, uh, always the same thing but the park is accessible to everyone mm -hmm. but the museum wasn't accessible to everyone okay it, there was also this idea of how we can interest people who are not really into, uh, attracted by photography who are not really who are not coming in mm -hmm. the museum and mm -hmm. in the park to see exhibition. That's why we decided to go outside where people usually went to, to have a coffee, to, mm -hmm. to just share, you know, to flirt also for, for young lovers. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it was, all this thing was yeah. really important for us to really recreate a, a, a bridge between Malian audience and the, the, the rest of the world. Antoine and Remy talk about um, BC's um, commitment to local engagement, not only in Lagos at CCA, but through projects like this. There was another project at the Bamako Biennial about um, education and students. Can, yeah. you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, BC decided, you know, with the CCA, she, went, uh, she decided to have a huge program of education. So, um, there was two parts. There was the part with the the, the, the studio. Uh, I think I saw one image. She opened uh, the studios. I oh, think, um, yeah. that so one? This one, yeah. yeah. She opened the studios to everyone to see, to create also a kind of um, um, Malian feast, uh, local feast or city fe fe uh, uh, festival to bring people also to be more impressed about her, about archives. We spoke a lot about archives. That's why also um, uh, I changed my mind about how to create, uh, why uh, to, to work with archives also. Um, what do you mean by that? Uh, I mean that uh, after working with BC, uh, I decided to change my mind and not just work with young, young photographers, okay. but okay. also now work with, try to find uh, 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 old photographers to want to the to go to the studio. Uh, it's one point. It's um, um, that we I focus uh, mostly uh, during the Year Photo Festival with Tousselet, Jacques Tousselet. This is uh, in Cameroon, right? A Cameroonian yeah. photographer, yeah, yeah, who is not really known. There is another one outside on the um, east uh, west uh, wing of the uh, art fair named Kameni, for example with also a Cameroonian photographer. So yeah, this, is, this, wa this was also the thing she, was, she wanted to bring with this distant uh, edition. It was, okay, we are going to open the studios because it's also important to see other photographers than the famous we know, we, mm -hmm. we already know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that it's 
with this project, for example, I remember that uh, uh, she was happy because there was one female photographer from studio. Mm -hmm. She was really happy to discover this female ph photographer. Who was that? I don't remember the name, <laughs> <Okay>. sorry. <laughs> sorry, I don't remember the name for now, but, um, but I can give you the name yeah, later. Yeah, but, but um, in addition to opening the studios, there was an educational program for young children, is that right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so for like a, th a thousand days, some, something like certain schools and days, I'm trying to remember. The yeah, exactly, the, there was yeah. a lot. I think the, her ambition was like uh, 8,000 uh, 8, 8, children uh, uh, during the Biennale, the mm -hmm. whole Biennale. And uh, I think we went to like, not, not 8,000, but near this um, number, this um, number, so. Uh, and these were workshops for There was workshops, uh, yes, yeah. there was yeah. workshop with Seidu uh, Kamara, uh, for example, mm -hmm. with uh, Musa Kalapo, she asked to the young photographer to give their experience to the new the, the, mm. the, the young generation so they made uh, so they made workshop in the park many of the workshop was it was in the park so uh, it was also easier for 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 the um, for 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 us to uh, create again a, a real connection with uh, the, um, the the audience uh, because uh, seeing people young people outside sitting uh, sit outside and and just uh, uh, and walking with images you know it creates a kind of curiosity for everyone who is going in the park so um, uh, this was really something uh, in the education educational mm -hmm. part that um, from my point of view this this biennial was so important because the main exhibition had a superb selection of artists working you know at the top of their game, but also this dynamic engagement with local communities through education and through these mm -hmm. other programs. What, in your opinion, what is the lasting legacy of BC's contribution to the Bamako Biennial? Um, um, I think BC, um, Contribution to the Bamako Biennale was is uh, really I don't know how to say it. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a real con uh, it's a real continuity with the past with the initiative of the Biennale. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's a real continuity with the initiative, but also it brings another perspective of how we have to do Biennale in Africa and how mm -hmm. we have to show photography in Africa. And uh, for instance, um, when I created, the, the, when I, 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 I started the work for the Yafoto Festival, I, th I thought a lot about what she told me of what should be a biennial in Africa. And uh, the educational program is really important. There was an, an educational program before, but uh, the young generation is the people who has to be touched first, mm -hmm. you know, to mm -hmm. be really impact for the first, mm -hmm. and also the archives, the uh, the the the, is, uh, the photography history in Africa, and um, I think it's really the both the both things that we showed also. And one thing uh, about the main exhibition is it was that she selected 
many young photographers, mm -hmm. you know, immersion mm -hmm. photographers. Yeah, she like was, Lebo. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah Lebo Wang, like yeah. Musa Kalapo, like, uh, oh, okay, like uh, George Stengal, uh, okay. mm -hmm. uh, Kistol Elliot, for example, for videos. Mm -hmm. So I think she was really, really focused on how we can bring the new generation, the young photographers, more visible mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um, and we spoke a lot about that and that he, and I'm sure uh, she was right when she was saying okay <coughs> the young photographers are the best way to go to to go back to the past mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. we have to connect with them mm -hmm. so we have to show them also in absence of uh, educational a real uh, program, uh, um, uh, art program in Africa. Mm -hmm. It's to us to create this link uh, around exhibition in exhibitions. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, Bode, over, over to you. Um, you've said previously that you grew up reading National Geographic and Drum and the Black Photographers Annual, which, if anyone doesn't know, is a really beautiful publication from the US in the 1970s. Would, would you have been the type of person to go to CCA Lagos if it had existed when you were a teenager or a young person? Yeah. So what do you think is the role of, of CCA um, during BC's time, having started that space and, and as it moves into the, the future? What, what do you see as the, the, the role that it plays in, in contemporary art and in photography? Artists, not just photographers, artists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then she had a library. And the library was very, very important. And in the years of CCA, I was often in Lagos doing workshops through the Goethe Institute or other um, institutions. And I always encouraged the young participants to go to the um, CCA library. To, mm -hmm. you know, to really and she had a lot of photography books, but also other books as well, many, mm -hmm. many. So this was very, very good. For anyone who hasn't been, could you just <coughs> describe um, CCA? Lagos for us. CCA is interesting. It, it was in Yaba, and Yaba is a, um, a, um, a, what do you call it? A neighborhood or a, um, an area of Lagos. Um, it was mentioned, um, Antoine mentioned this, over the bridge. So we, um, Lagos is, a, is a actually a, a complex of islands separated by lagoons, and there's the sea, the Atlantic Ocean, and then the mainland. Yaba is on the mainland. And um, over the years, the, the islands, especially Koya and Victoria Island, have become very elitist areas. And many of the people living there, well, especially the expatriates, the whites, they, they don't want to come to the mainland. There are all kinds of funny stories and legends, you know, myths about crime and all this thing. But it's not, it's not as really very dangerous. But BC wanted to really um, establish a space on the mainland and, and chose Yaba. Yaba was um, actually started in the colonial times, was for the um, working, so middle class, lower middle class, working class um, civil servants, especially those who were working in the railways. So the railways actually end um, um, or start in um, Yaba, but a, a part of Yaba called Dido, and then there's Yaba itself. So, and um, interestingly is that um, CCA was on a street called McQueen Street, mm -hmm. and that's um, um, my, one of my, uh, my, my, my brothers, his wife, 
That's the name of the, the family name. Mm. So mm -hmm. River Ranch is a close thing. And um, over the years now, these are decades, everything is, um, Lagos is it's an upward, very, very mobile, um, dynamic city. So many parts of Lagos, it's older Lagos, have been sort of re, rediscovering themselves, which means actually gentrification, even in Yaba as well, too. So, um, yeah, that's very much it. Mm -hmm. But it was a very, very important space. It still is, because um, her legacy has been continued. That's mm -hmm. very, very important as well. And there's a, if I remember correctly, there's one floor that is the exhibition space, and then the other floor is the yeah. library. So you come yeah. on the ground floor, there's a um, photo lab. They now do digital prints. Huh? And then on the first floor is the, um, the, the exhibition space. On the second floor is um, BC space. Huh? And then she also has a kind of balcony where you can see a great part of um, Yaba and also looking towards the island as well. And I think one aspect of CCA to emphasize is that BC was not just showing um, the work of African artists, but taking traveling exhibitions from Europe and elsewhere. There was a collaboration with Tate five or six years ago, is that right? Maybe lo longer than that? Yeah, and that it was a very cosmopolitan space. I think you mentioned that the first show you went there, either that you exhibited in or that you yeah, attended. Yeah, um, so I took was, part in, I yeah. took part in a, um, uh, we, did, we did a workshop um, through another institution from Germany in, in Senegal some years ago on fashion. And then um, um, eventually th this show showed in Germany, other parts of the world, and then came to Lagos, to CCA. And so, I mean, as you were saying, Brendan, I mean, BC opened up um, like the Nigerian public, I, those who come to CCM, many people did come to, to um, many different aspects of art, not just within Africa, but all over, from all over the world. Mm -hmm. But also, I think she was so strongly identified with that space. When I was in Lagos, people would say, oh, you need to go to BC's place. Did they? Did you hear that also? They wouldn't say CCA. They would say, "Oh, you should go to BC's place." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As because, referring to the yeah, because she was, she, and that's another thing also. She was a very strong personality, or had had a very strong personality, and this personality then actually carried CCA, so to speak. And so people then would associate. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something we do a lot in Nigeria mm -hmm. as well. Teaching um, was something that was important to BC pedagogy and workshops and she was critical of the art education system in Nigeria um, and so she created her own platform, Asiko, which I think was a topic um, already at this forum. But teaching is really important to you and has been mm -hmm. for a long time. In, in what ways was BC's um, style of pedagogy of sharing teaching important to you as you were thinking about your work or your own, your own workshops, your teaching? We more or less work together in, in, this, in the sense that um, I always, especially when I was doing workshops, even in, in other countries in Africa, I would reference BC, but other spaces as well, eh? especially also market photo workshop, eh, John. So this is a very important spaces because they uh, provide opportunity for younger um, colleagues coming up. And this is something which really we were lacking 30, 40 years ago. So I have a very close friend, Jide Adini Jones and I, we started out in the 70s. There's nothing like this. So we were so happy when BC came on board. Market photos started long before that, but other spaces as well. So that's the way to move forward. And there's a courage. Now there's a really big movement forward. It's very, very good. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say that. And then um, I would always try, yeah, I would always constantly say, yeah, please, if you have the opportunity, Go and visit these spaces. Look at the shows there. Expand your vision. Expand your, your art, so to speak. 
I think um, BC is similar in some ways to Thelma Golden, the director of the Studio Museum in Harlem, and Deborah Willis, uh, who teaches <coughs> photography at New York University, people who are extremely ambitious and have a high level of excellence, but they, their mentorship is so impactful in the field that you see people doing the work that they were doing in various, various different ways. And I think that's the, that is the space that we're living in now. And then there are mm -hmm. others who continue to take a strand of what she's done and do their own thing, interestingly, right? Interestingly, uh, yeah. BC also knew Thelma and um, Deborah Willis. Of course, well. yeah. So this is very, very interesting. And also for me, very, very important too is these were women. You know? mm -hmm. Some men do this as well too, but women are very, they have this nurturing and trying to um, you know, improve, the, improve, improve things, which I think is very important. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to talk about your recent work um, mm -hmm. a little bit. We have a few slides. You, as I mentioned, showed in Documenta in 2017 and most recently in the Chicago Architectural Biennial. And you make images all over the place, not, not in, not only in Nigeria, but you're, you have a style, or at least in the images that I know best of yours, that is recognizable and consistent. Can you just take us through some of your recent images and projects? So um, I, I've chosen eight images. Recent, these are recent images. This is an image I took, um, so what do we have now? It's 2019. I took earlier this year, in June, in Chicago. Huh? And um, what um, <coughs> made me make this image, I, I, I don't like say shoot an image, I, I say make or take an image, was the push button. <laughs> because it's a way of, um, visualizing how very much we've become, um, uh, we need some kind of gadget, mobile phone, the, the switch, to enter into another space. But it goes much deeper. Because for me, it's also about what is actually a photograph? What is, is it, it's, a, it's an entry point into other layers, something you spoke about, but also Anton and, and Remy as well, and Brendan too. And then, so, this is actually um, a power station on the west side of Chicago, no longer in use now because the company which used to use this power station, Sears, have gone bankrupt. I was told Sears used to be the Amazon of old. Powerful company, and they did um, order, uh, order mail. So you, they had catalogs, you look in the catalog, and you ordered something, and then they would send it to you. Now they're gone, they've gone. So I'm always thinking in my mind, uh, what's going to happen to Amazon? <laughs> and then also, the, the whole, it's a big, huge complex. It's been fenced off, you know, the, um, the, the fencing. So, and, um, but some people still work there. They maintain the building. So uh, that push button. But another thing which struck me, but I found very, very sort of, um, and this is something about my, my wanderings, is um, Kodak, when they started in the 19th century, by the way, Kodak is also no longer gone. He said, press the button and we do the rest. <laughs> so I even Googled this and, and some of it is sometimes not even press, it's push the button and we do the rest. So we have become so much attached to our gadgets, to our, you know, like, they're almost like robots now. So this is, I found very interesting. Was this, um, was your work in Chicago a commission or you chose to go there? And um, then, it, it was um, in part a commission. Um, Sepake uh, Angyama, one of the um, co-curators, not the main curator, 
she knew my style of working because Sepaka was the educational um, curator for um, Documenta. Mm -hmm. And she, she, um, she wanted me to work in Chicago because I just wander, you know, just look around, different things, and then begin to see threads, linkages, connections to other images I've taken in the past, other wanderings, and all the time I'm questioning, trying to understand what are we all about? What is life about? That's, that's my main theme. Mm -hmm. Like in this one, for example. Mm -hmm. Because if you look very carefully, you'll see apartments. So this is, a, and if you look in the apartments, you might just see the face of Martin Luther King. So now, I didn't know this, but Martin Luther King in the 60s spent some time in Chicago trying to fight for the rights of, um, of black peoples, especially um, um, about housing. And that, at that time, there were some very terrible um, uh, measures to actually um, isolate blacks. So discrimination to the very last. They call it redlining. And um, now, when he was assassinated, um, Chicago, especially on, on the African-American um, quarters, exploded. That's the south side on the west side. I was working on the west side. So now, uh, as a legacy of his, um, of what he did, they built some quite sort of, um, good apartments. So I was trying to take, I'm referencing that this is where he used to stay before in this particular area. And then you see him there in, in one of the image, uh, one of the um, photographs. So this is something of the archive. <laughs> and then also, what, what really got me is also I like people um, walking past. Uh, so the lady with the stars. Uh, Referencing the... Um, and stripes. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the kind of thing. But now, I didn't, I didn't tell the lady to come in. I mean, I'm just, I'm hanging in there, or you said chilling. or just, And then gradually things come together. Mm -hmm. So this is what life is, for me is about. Huh? The coming to the serendipity, coming of things together. This image, in the same west side um, part of Chicago, which is called, called North Lawndale, was the day of... Uh, um, tree planting ceremony uh, organized by a, um, a neighborhood committee trying to, because there's a lot of gun violence, unfortunately, in Chicago, and especially in the African-American um, neighborhoods. And um, in, after um, um, Martin Luther King's um, assassination, as I said, um, these um, neighborhoods exploded, and many buildings were burnt down. So they had a lot of um, empty lots, boarded up buildings from that time, and many, many um, people have been leaving these areas. Huh? So they, sometimes they, they, there's been disinvestment, and they, work, they, um, they appear very desolate. Huh? Unfortunately, also drugs, some people ask how they come in. So um, gangs, again, fighting, killing, shooting each other. So what um, some people have done is try to um, bring in the, um, the weapons. They, um, how do you say, um, they... Um, they smelt them, and they melt them, they melt yeah. them down, yeah. Yeah. and they made spades. So these are actually spades made from guns. For the tree planting. And then, no, yeah. but now yeah. they were just installed, they use other um, more, more mm. <laughs> efficient okay. spades. Uh, okay. and, and this is an empty lot called Unity Park. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, effort from some of the um, people living in these neighbor, um, neighborhoods to um, revitalize these empty lots. So they have urban gardening. So this was one, one of the oldest ones, in fact, called Unity Park. Mm -hmm. And this is, and then for this particular tree planting ceremony, Yo-Yo Ma, a very famous um, 
musician? Uh, cellist. Yeah. Okay, you see him we're holding his cellist there. The, the man, in, I forget his name now, but he's um, one of the um, activists in, in this particular neighborhood. So th this was a, um, and then it was a beautiful moment again. I wish I could have actually photographed. It's very difficult to photograph sound, uh, but you can't do it. It's very difficult. Mm -hmm. When he started playing his cello. Okay. Um, now, yeah. make a jump some years back to Lagos. So now, um, like uh, the, my image, which I um, took from um, Paul Jekeria, and the one on the, um, the right side was about of Brazilian architecture. And this church is the cathedral, um, Catholic cathedral in Lagos, also very uh, built by um, returnees from Brazil in the 19, late 19th century. This is the second or third expansion of the, of the church. But inside, especially, you see a lot of Brazilian architectural motifs. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and for me, this image works very much like a ship. Actually, churches are actually almost have a, um, they conceive as a ship, so moving through. But the thing also, which, which religion? You know, this is not our original religion. Mm -hmm. okay. So, um, as I said earlier, like the press um, um, push button, um, I'm very interested in asking this question constantly, what is a photograph? What is the meaning of a photograph? So here you see the photo automata. This is where people go into the photo booth. Kind of um, one removed selfie. And then you have all these images on the wall. You know, these are um, some kind of street art um, about migration. This is in Berlin, by the way. And then she has her her phone. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> with this whole thing, and she's coming towards me. So again, I'm referencing somebody moving by. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think. Oh, there's one more. And this yes. one is in Bamako. And um, I was with my daughter then, my uh, my elder daughter. We were just actually going into town, and um, I saw this studio, and then the, the um, serendipity of the ma of the of the cart going by with the donkey and so on. And um, his studio, Togo, because the um, photographer came from actually from Togo. But now, it's very interesting, in Germany they have, or also I noticed in the States too, mm -hmm. they have a um, way you can get your coffee quickly to go. You see? <laughs> but we, we, you laugh, but these are some, so sometimes when I see this to go, I'm always thinking of Togo. Huh? Mm. But people are all thinking of, of coffee and, you know, thinking of, okay, the last one. I love the coffee. <laughs> Horse and cart because that also reminds me of the beginning of Usman Senban's first film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a nice one. And then, oh yeah. And this is my um, this is a, a sculptural replica um, replica uh, representation of Shango. Shango is the deity of thunder, um, a warrior deity. So this was in Oshobo where I was working about three years ago for documentaries. I took this particular image. And important for me is, and if you have to look very carefully, you see the double-edged axe on the front. And this is a very powerful symbol of power and dominance, uh, patriarchy and so <laughs> on. So this kind of thing. Interestingly, though, in, in Berlin, at one time, I, don't, I haven't seen it recently, uh, the um, LGBTQ, the, especially the lesbian women, they had a kind of tattoo as a, uh, as a kind of marker, also the double-edged um, thing. So you see the, how particular symbols, meanings, um, where we uh, do things are constantly being expanded, contracted, mm. 
move forward. I love the delicacy and the precision of your work across all these, these landscapes. Thank you very it's much. Beautiful. So there's one short video as a kind of conclusion from Remy and Antoine, and then we'll open up for a few minutes of, mm -hmm. of questions. So, um. I remember in um, the months leading up to Bamako, we had had a Skype session and she was talking a lot about the planning. And I was also just asking her questions as to, you know, what I should be thinking about. Um, and she was always reminding me um, and this, I think, pertains on a material level, a psychological one. Uh, it, you know, it applies to artists. It applies to curators. Mm -hmm. She was saying, "You always have a choice," yeah. and so you know that choice can be led um, in various directions. Whether it's to shape a body of work, to shape an outlook, to mm -hmm. carve a perspective, um, but you know, take that choice, and that's your choice. Mm -hmm. You have the integrity, and I think that. Um, you know, once you've made that decision, no one can fault you for what it is because it's your choice. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just something that yeah continues to be relevant to me because I think it applies to artistic decisions, I think it applies yeah. to material ones, but also, um, yeah, something that allows one to think that you can work within a history of photographic practice, but yeah. you can also see space for yourself to intervene. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I think that that would be a key lesson. Yeah. I, th I like that. I think I think one of the the things, and it, it's funny because we've talked about this in, in so many ways, and, and I've also talked with BC about it. Um, is this idea? I mean, one of the things that motivated her interest in Ojukiri's work um, was this idea that uh, the hairstyles had become so ubiquitous mm. that people had seen them; they had been exhibited to death almost. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, they everywhere. I mean, it's the first thing that comes to mind is. Uh, with, when you think about Ojikari as the hairstyles, and she was determined to somehow change that perception. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why I say it goes back to things that we've talked about is because of uh, the sort of historical uh, aspect of that research, um, mm -hmm. and how uh, for a lot of young curators and, and artists even, um, there's a kind of allure of the contemporary, of the present, of, mm -hmm. of the new, right? Um, and BC uh, was, of course, well-versed in a lot of recent trends in, in, in art-making and curator practice, and, and she always had her finger on the pulse, as you mentioned earlier, in terms of what was happening in Latin America or Europe or the U.S. and all across the continent from her extensive travels. Mm -hmm. But she also felt this sense that, you know, let's not completely do away with, you know, the older generation. Let's mm -hmm. reopen their archive or reassess their contribu contributions to art histories on the continent. And I think Oji Carey afforded her that, and I know that, you know, she was also really interested in the work of Kola Tomokwai, mm -hmm. the, the Nigerian modernist painter, and, mm -hmm. and also Demo Sangwoko. Yeah. So she is one of those people who was like incredibly fascinated by this older generation, mm -hmm. um, but also really, really in touch with and, and responsive to new approaches and new ways of, of making art and new ways of presenting it in the city mm -hmm. uh, of Lagos or in, in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So to have the agility, or as you described it earlier, a kind of nimbleness mm -hmm. uh, to move between these things in, in, a, in a way that wasn't superficial at all. Yeah. Um, I, I think... I, I, that, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think just to add to that, one of the things that perhaps I would push as well to, mm -hmm. you know, to say with uh, what I really appreciated with her was that she 
really valued what the archive offered and what yeah. it meant to dig really deep and yeah. you saw like her dedication to really building up the CCA library yes, right yes, and how yes. much she was really like okay it's all about the books publications yes. publications yeah. publications right but on the other end as you mentioned was also super invested in what um, conversations you know things yeah. that we can consider ephemeral in a way yeah. can can uh, can birth whether that's you know having long-term relationships with artists who are various generations, right? I think also we can talk about like her investment in, um, in education in terms of, of a pedagogical mo uh, mode of curatorial work, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, not only is it through, um, you know, the physical accruing of histories, but also in cultivating um, individuals who will, <laughs> will literally be, you know, will be yeah. speaking what she's been, you know, when she, what she had dedicated uh, all of her life's work to. Yeah. And so to me, that's something that I also really appreciate. You know, the ability of a curator to think about her practice not just as one that is invested in you know exhibition making mm -hmm. working with living artists but also invested in doing the you know the work that is not as social or not as contingent mm -hmm. on you know conversations or being literally with other bodies yes. right <laughs> yeah. i think that that's something that i really learn and continue to think of yeah. uh, of her in mind do we have time for a few a few questions I'll just tell you one very quick story and then we'll take questions. I was actually with BC um, that day that that picture was taken, which was published in the New York Times. We were having breakfast at a hotel in Midtown and we were talking about the strategy for editing this issue. And then finally she said, well, I have to go. And I said, oh, what, what are you doing next? And she said, well, I have an interview with the New York Times. Just like as, that was like a normal thing to be doing. Um, so I love, I love that picture with her and that, that ran also with her New York Times obituary, which Remy and Anton both um, contributed to beautifully. So do we have any questions? Thanks for staying with us through this long, this long program today. Thanks. Um, I just wanted to pick up what um, Eve said about when he mentioned uh, to Soleil Jacques, um, and I helped create the original archive of that, but what I'm incredibly conscious is that for every uh, Camonie, Michel, Toussaint, Jacques, there are so, there remain the remnants of so many studio photographers in Africa, which are, if not going every week, but um, remain in dire danger of vanishing. And it's, there seems to be no institutional support in any individual country, let alone across the continent, to help efforts to preserve them. I don't know if any, you have any comments on that. Do you want to talk about this? Um, yeah, I can talk about um, Tussile, uh, especially about Tussile. Uh, David is uh, the, um, in charge of the estate of the um, of Tussile um, uh, images. And um, one thing uh, uh, my colleagues said before is that uh, BC was really interest, interested by archives, by the uh, all these, by old photographers, and uh, I think when I started, he spoke about uh, to say, but when I started to work for the festival year photo, um, I tried to have in my mind this idea of BC of go and go through the archive, go and explore your, uh, the country, explore exactly what, ex explore the, 
the, the, the scene. And um, I fight a lot to find Tusele, for example, because uh, there's anything about old photographer, for example, in Cameroon. And uh, it's not like Mali or uh, Nigeria or uh, some countries where you have a real um, development of um, or a real, uh, a visibility of old photographers. So I tried really to, 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 find, to find old uh, a studio photographer because it's also, I think, it's also, as um, I said, it's also important for us to have this old photographer in our mind. Um, and uh, uh, we cannot just uh, uh, see all these photographs outside of the country. We need also, and she <coughs> was really uh, 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 um, interested about bringing in the continent all the many images, this, all this legacy who are, who are also outside of the continent. But as an answer maybe to this question, do you think curatorial work and exhibitions can help um, put a spotlight on the need to preserve archives? Yeah, of course, exhibition can really help. Uh, for, for instance, uh, uh, the exhibition, uh, 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 the Tusele exhibition uh, happened in, uh, in the museum, National Museum in, uh, in Yaoundé. Mm -hmm. And I think if I, I, I think they never, never, they never made exhibition for photographers, for example. Mm -hmm. It was something really new. They didn't know how to install images, what it was important for, for me mm -hmm. as a curator to bring vintage images and not only uh, 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 reprint. It was also mm -hmm. the document. The document is also important, and they wasn't really conscious about what means the mm -hmm. document, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's that. I think it's also something uh, uh, we were really attached during the festival, and I'm mm -hmm. still attached about that, and uh, mm -hmm. this is um, um, something this he gave me as a legacy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have another question. Hello, thank you so much for coming and speaking today. Um, in our conversation, we've been hearing a lot about the archive, and I wanted to kind of ask a question in this age of historical accountability, reparations, and thinking about um, art restitution. And with photography, it has a, a very, um, has a dark past in thinking about criminalization of people of color, but also thinking about the ethnographic history of photography. Um, and just recently, a woman from Connecticut is suing Harvard about the Agassiz photographs. So what role do you think you see for photography and current contemporary photographers and people in the photography world for thinking about reparations and thinking about historical accountability? Do either of you want to take? Well, yeah. I mean, there are some photographers, um, African-American and also from uh, African and the diaspora, working on these themes uh, in many different ways. Uh, I mean, you want me, you want me to mention names or? No, you know, I just mean, what is the what is the photography role? Is there a role in the photography community to think about these kinds of patterns? When you say reparations, do you mean like the return of archives to um, certain cities where the photographer worked, or that that kind of thing? I mean, I guess it's a little bit different with photography as opposed to painting or sculpture, where if you have negatives or you have print, I mean, they circulate in different ways, but is that what you mean, like locating an archive in the city in which it was the photographer worked and lived? I guess I'm just more asking, do you feel like there's a social responsibility in these pieces in the country with this platform that you have to deal with these issues? I said I think some are doing this, definitely. <clears throat> um, others don't really care. So it's, it's, it's very much an individual thing. 
but there is a um, awareness that is an important theme. So you will find some, especially also younger photographers now, really taking it on and trying in their own way to talk about these these matters. Um, no. Take make photographs about these matters in many many different ways. Sometimes very very subtly as well. I think it's also the role of the photographer. And if you want a name, I can give you one name. It's um, Ibrahim Acham, for example, from from Senegal. He made this amazing installation during uh, uh, the Bamako Biennale with all photographies from uh, 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 Mama Cassette, Salah Cassette, and others old photographers. And he, brought, he made this insertion to show the importance of the photography. And it also a way to, to speak about restitution. I think it's also when we are speaking about restitution, and uh, we also have to speak about images, all these old images, all these <coughs> ethnographic images. Um, um, during my experience with in Bamako and also in Cameroon, um, I, I, I spoke about uh, 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 this idea of restitution. And uh, in Cameroon, for example, Vincent, uh, the director of the uh, National Archives told me that, okay, now I cannot buy old images, vintage print about Cameroon, who is telling the story of Cameroon because it's really expensive. And all these images, for, for instance, were in Cameroon and they were bring outside Cameroon. And when he sees these images uh, on website, on auction house, he cannot buy it. He cannot buy it because Government cannot uh, um, assume the finance, uh, the, the fundings for, for that, and it's also expensive for this country. So, photographer, young photographer, when they are working with this, those images, it's also a way to uh, uh, rethink where should be, uh, where uh, how we should be uh, considered this considered all these old images, and how it's also important as objects, other objects. Uh, artifacts of, um, uh, of our heritage. So, and I would give one more example, which is um, the Ivorian photographer Ananias Lake Hidago has been working with the archive of Paul Kojo, who uh, is Ivorian and made a lot of photographs in the 1970s. And Ananias was looking after his archive. And actually, at the 154 in New York in May, there was a presentation of Paul Kojo's work, um, which was a collaboration between the fair and a collector and a curator, and that. And there was a forum just like this, and that put his work both in context and underscored the need for the preservation of his archive. And that's an artist-led initiative. So I think there's a role for collaboration between artists, institutions, and collectors for um, maintaining the archives first and foremost, and then thinking about where they should be located. Hi. Um, I just wanted to ask quickly, um, in terms of the way photography has changed um, over the last few years, um, and how, in, in particular, in terms of how people consume photography, um, could you maybe talk about one thing that excites you about the direction that it's going and one thing that maybe you're a little bit more concerned about? Me? <laughs> um, I cannot say that I'm not concerned about something or something else. I think uh, uh, as a creator, I have to open my, my, my mind. You know, I'm working with African photographers. Uh, some people asking me, are you only working with photography? No, I'm interested by art, I'm doing, I'm, I'm interested by artists, so I cannot say that I'm not interested. Uh, but something interests me is more the body, um, the identity, 
Uh, I think mm -hmm. uh, uh, it's uh, the main uh, subject I'm developing all many times in my projects, you know, when I'm doing exhibition, when I'm writing, it's mo mostly about photographers who are dealing, who are working um, um, with this question of identity uh, uh, and, and genders also, so, and the body. I would agree with you. One of the projects that I was most excited about publishing in Platform Africa was Eric Jamfi's work in Ghana. Eric is working um, with queer subjects and telling queer narratives <laughs> through photography, and that's a really <coughs> radical act in Ghana where homosexuality is illegal and he runs a risk for censorship or other kinds, other types of confrontation. And he's also growing his practice beyond photography and using multimedia methods, and John works with him, and I just think it's really exciting that young people, also like Jody Brand, are taking on LGBT topics. Mm -hmm. This would be led in some ways by Maholi, but also the example of Samuel Foso and gender bending in photography in the last you know, 30 or 40 years. I think that's really, really exciting. And one thing that would concern me, I guess it goes back to the question of, of archives and someone um, as wonderful and with such a wide body of work like David Goldblatt, um, his archive um, was transferred to Yale um, about a year and a half ago. And while Yale has the resources and capability to study that work and to ensure its legacy, it's sad that that work is not in, in Cape Town and in South Africa where students um, and scholars can look at it and think about it. And I, I hope that there's also a role for institutions and universities on the continent to think about cultural preservation in terms of acquiring um, artists' archives. So that would be my answer. Do you want to add something? No, I was just thinking oh, yeah. actually it's, it's interesting because maybe cultural preservation will eventually happen in the cloud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mine, mine isn't working or? Um, quickly add to that and clarify something that mm -hmm. Brendan was saying because David Goldblatt did leave a legacy mm -hmm. with digitizing his archive. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. although the physical archive has transferred, efforts are being made in Johannesburg mm -hmm. to have a digital archive of all his work. Yeah. And indeed, uh, and John will be able to speak much better to us and I'll hand this over to you in a moment, but my understanding <laughs> is that other photographers are being invited to also lodge their negatives uh, or have their negatives digitized so that they are available at the same archive. And indeed, there are other endeavors like that in other parts of Africa that I'm aware of. So for example, Ricardo Rangel's widow in Maputo was doing a huge amount of work in terms of digitizing his remarkable archive so and writing other- Ricardo's past? Ricardo Rangel? Yeah. Long ago? I'm so, so I was confused, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but when, when I was there, also quite a long time ago, his, his widow was still keeping that photography school going. I imagine that she may well have passed by now, or at least is um, near the end of her life, but making a really important contribution in terms of trying to get that material digitized in the absence of, of physical prints being available in Mozambique. I mean, of course, it's, it's scratching the surface, as the gentleman pointed out. There is just so much uh, material that is disintegrating, that is leaving the continent. Um, Indeed, we are seeing much of that surfacing in art fairs and auction houses internationally. And I think this question around digitization that Akinbodi touched on is, is crucial to the future and to make sh making sure that that material, that history is not lost. Um, and I just wanted to touch on the fact of what uh, Ehiani was talking about in terms of CCA's future. So the center that BC established 
and thinking about the legacy and the amount of digitizing that they're planning to do. So if you're interested in hearing about what's happening in Lagos in terms of securing the future of CCA, please do have a look through the video footage um, from the previous talks, because a lot of what you have so eloquently touched upon has been spoken about in more depth in previous panel discussions, so as CECO, CCA, um, the importance of looking back and, and preserving histories, but also, crucially, paying attention to the future and the youth and um, how we shape discourses and make those available to the next generation. So I just want to take this opportunity to say a huge thank you. You've um, brought so much to life for us and also managed to weave in a huge amount of material and, of course, five speakers. So <laughs> thank you to all of you. Much appreciated. You've also managed to introduce the next session, probably without realizing it, <laughs> in that Lebohang, who was mentioned earlier, and also uh, Rahima, who was in Aperture's photo platform, uh, the Platform Africa series, will be some of the artists shown in the screening program, which will start at 3.30. So please join us for that. Thank you very much. <laughs>